So Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Um, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Emma. Um, Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, As Johnny said, I'm Hannah Pearson, so I um, am part of Mosaic South Gathering, um, and I live in Holbeck and lead the service that um, is going on down there. Um, So I've just come up from there. Um, And I've lived in Holbeck for about 10 years, um, but prior to that, I was a student in Manchester. And I remember very, very clearly a moment in my third year at university. Um, It was kind of this time of year, so approaching Easter in the third year. If any of you have been there, you probably know what I'm going to say. When I realized, it dawned on me, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do with my life. So until that point, I'd, I'd spent the previous two and a half years basically just enjoying myself and trying not to think too seriously about anything and then I realized that that time was coming to an end and approaching the end of my third year I had to make a decision and it totally floored me because firstly I didn't really know what I wanted to do I studied ancient history which is like the least vocational subject in the land so there were no obvious choices but not only did I not know what to do I didn't know how to go about making the decision I was totally floored by it, and it came to a head um, when I came actually on a church weekend away with Mosaic, so I wasn't part of the church, um, but I was visiting Matt, who's my husband, um, who we were going out back then, and he was part of this church, and so I just came on a weekend away with him, I didn't know anyone, and on the first night in the worship, I literally just sobbed because it all everything I was feeling inside sort of came up and I was reali- realized that I just wasn't didn't feel prepared for this decision and um, it was quite embarrassing because I didn't know anyone but bless there was a few people around me who like knew, had traveled with me so they knew I didn't know anyone so they were like well we better stay with her she's all right but anyway it was an extremely significant moment for me in my life because it was that that sort of time where the rubber hit the road and I realized I had to make a decision And I'm sure that all of us have felt like that at different times, whether you're probably a bit less dramatic and emotional than me, so it maybe didn't come out in sobs, but I reckon that all of you have at times thought, what am I going to do with my life? Or what am I doing with my life? And has this, has this all been, like, what am I doing that counts? Has this all been worth it? We ask ourselves, and I think we re-ask ourselves this question throughout life, don't we? And when we ask this question, there are a number of places that we can look to for support support and guidance. So we look to our families, don't we? We look to our friends, we look maybe to our educators, be it school or uni or anyone who's played a teaching role. We look um, around at our friendship groups, we look maybe just at culture, at needs around us. There's lots of different places, but what we're asking is, please tell me. Please tell me what I should be doing. Please tell me what's going to make me happy, what's right for me. Um, And today I just want to invite us all together to come to God with this question and say, God, what do you have to say about this? What do you want me to be doing with my life? And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, so you've never done this before. Why why would you? But I just want to invite you today to ask, ask it with us. You might find the answer really interesting. It might even be helpful for you. And perhaps you are a Christian and you've asked this of God before and felt like, do you know what, I, I, didn't, I didn't really, I don't understand, I don't understand what he's saying, I don't feel like he's told me. If, if you feel like that, I've definitely felt that in the past. And I just want to encourage you again, let's, let's ask him together, let's seek him for what he might say. Because 
God made us, he created us, and he loves us. And he is a good father who has good things for his children. And so if we turn to him and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I can guarantee that his answer is worth listening to because he made us, he created us, he knows how we tick, he knows what will enable us to thrive and he wants us to thrive. So it's worth asking him, right? So will you ask with me, God, what should I be doing with my life? And just to say, if you think you're too old to be asking this, uh, don't because uh, in the Bible, God calls people like in their 80s and beyond. And as we said, like we're always re-asking and re-reflecting on this question, aren't we? So... God, what should I be doing with my life? And when we want to know what God thinks, it's really helpful to look first to Jesus. So Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in human form. And the writer of a book in the Bible called Hebrews um, says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So when we see Jesus, we see God. So Jesus, what should I do with my life? Well, let's just think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus came to earth with a very clear mission to bring people back to God. So to make a way so that all people, people that God had created, could know him, be in relationship with him, and be who he created us to be. But the way he did this was not what you would expect. And it certainly wasn't the way that the people who lived at the time who knew Jesus in the flesh were expecting. Okay, so Jesus didn't come as like a warrior hero, big savior, swoop in and save the day. He did save us, but he did so by becoming a servant, by living a simple, radical, obedient life, and then dying. But wait for it, this is the miraculous power moment. He didn't stay dead, okay? He rose again and defeated death. Jesus came back to life. No one else had done that. And by doing that, he overcame the power of the grave, which broke the power of sin because death was the consequence of sin. So death is broken, sin is broken. And then he promised to put this death-defeating, sin-breaking power in us, in all of us who follow us. He puts his power in us. Why? Not so we can live superhuman lives and be like super people, but so that we can live the way he lived. So we can show others what he is like. How amazing. How amazing. Jesus does this incredible thing in rising from the dead. But when he comes to his people, what he says to them, it's so ordinary. It's so normal. Guys, just follow me. It's what Emma read to us. Let's just read it again. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right. All authority. There's nothing higher than him. Death, which was the greatest enemy of mankind, has been defeated. There's now nothing above Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. What does he mean by that? He's, he's saying, remember how I lived? Remember what I did? Remember what I was like? How I asked you to follow me and we healed people? How we, how we spoke good news of the kingdom to people? Just, I now want you to do that. I now want you to do that. I'm not with you in the flesh anymore, but better than that, I've put my power in you. And so I say, go. Do you know, this would have just completely blown the disciples' minds because he's just come back from the dead. And so they're expecting him to say, come on, let's go. Let's go to heaven now. Like, it's done. There's, we're done with this earth. We don't need to be here anymore. 
But he doesn't. He says, no, there's something more important than that. You need to go and you need to tell everyone else. Because there's loads of people that haven't met me yet. There's loads of people that don't know about this. There's loads of people that don't know that death is broken and sin is beaten. And they need to know that they're invited. So yes, we're going to eternal glory. But there's something more important to do first. Go and make disciples. That was was his command to his followers who were with him on the earth. And it's still his command to us. Go and make disciples. So we say, Jesus, what should I be doing with my life? He says, make disciples. He says, follow me and teach others to do the same. This is the most important thing. So that everyone will have the chance to know God and receive his love. So disciple just most simply means a follower. Jesus says, follow me and teach others to do the same. This is what we're made for. And if it's what we're made for, it's the most satisfying, fulfilling life we could lead. But it's more than just what we were created for. It's what the world needs more than anything. Aren't you desperate to see change in the world? Don't you watch the news and feel despair at the level of pain and suffering and evil and corruption that happens every day? Aren't you longing to see transformation? You know, the prophets in the Old Testament talked about a day when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that God would be known all over the world, and in that day, peace would reign. Isaiah puts it like this. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What does this mean? Well, it's poetic language coming from the prophets but it means that everyone everywhere will know of of the Lord and peace will come in the place of corruption conflict danger don't you want that how is it going to happen Jesus says by you and me going and telling people about Jesus showing them what he's like teaching them what he said and what it means to follow him it's incredible and it's simple at the same time Jesus says, follow me and let's change the world. Be a disciple maker. Okay, and so we're going to spend the next four weeks as a church um, in a little mini-series called Disciple Making Culture. And what we mean by that is we want a culture in our church, in Mosaic Church, across all the sites and gatherings that, that is disciples making disciples. People, normal people like you and me, learning to follow Jesus and teach others to do the same. And as we do that together, it generates a culture. And as that culture emerges, we see the knowledge of the Lord filling the whole earth. Do you want that? You up for that? It's exciting, isn't it? So we're going to spend the next four weeks unpacking this. But today, the rest, in the rest of our time, I want to look at three key things that will help us do this effectively. So firstly, dealing with disciple-making disappointment. Secondly, focusing on the why and the how rather than the what. And thirdly, imitating Jesus' rhythms. So that's where we're going now. So let's dive into disappointment. Um, so what we've just agreed together is that you and me being disciples who make disciples that's God's master plan to save the world but you know what we do we think nah silly plan that's never gonna work so we shrink back and we just sort of take a step away from what God's asked us to do we become distracted we start doing our own thing and then we become ineffective in the mission and I think disappointment is one of the biggest, biggest reasons for this. So I tried to share the gospel with my friend, but it didn't go very well. They didn't want to know. It doesn't work when I do it. I won't try again. 
Or I invited my friend to Alpha, but they, and they came, but then they were just, they didn't like it. They were offended. They didn't want to come again, and now they don't really want to talk to me. Or I prayed for healing for someone, but they didn't get healed, and like, it just doesn't work when I do it. It doesn't happen like it does in the Bible. I'm just going to not bother. God can crack on without me. Have you ever felt like that? I definitely have. We get disappointed and we tap out. Disappointment is the biggest barrier to a disciple-making culture, so we've got to learn to acknowledge it and deal with it, to bring our disappointment before God and say, God, I don't understand. I stepped out and nothing happened. I don't, I don't get this. Why, why would this happen? To, let him, to speak to him about our hurt and let him heal our hurt and from a place of healing, renew our mind, so line our thinking back up to how he thinks. We have to do this all the time. Do you know what? If you, if you feel that disappointment and you feel in church or in Mission Greek Life or in your discipleship treatment like you have to pretend it's not there, please don't. Please don't feel like this is a place where you have to pretend to be full of faith. It's not. This is a place to be honest about disappointment and to acknowledge it and to help each other come to Jesus within it. It isn't about, the gospel is not a flashy superhero life. It's a servant who was obedient in scattering seed. I heard a story recently of a guy who um, 12 years ago had given a book to one of his friends. It was the Lee Strobel Case for Faith book. He'd just given it to his friend. Oh, you read this. That should be really great. The guy just didn't want to know. He wasn't interested. And then 12 years later, he gets a phone call from this guy saying, oh, my mum died really suddenly a month ago in a car crash. I'd always been meaning to read your book, but just never got around to it. I've read it, and it's changed my life. I've realized I'm a sinner and I want to live for Jesus. Can you help me? Isn't that amazing? He could have got disappointed 12 years ago and not ever done that again, not ever given anyone another book because his friend didn't want to know. But then 12 years later, it's, it's changed this guy's life. It's worth it. We don't always see the, the, the full story. We don't always see what God, where it ends up. But we need to fight to not get disappointed. Just even this week... Um, there's, there's some situations going on with people that we're walking with in Holbeck that are really, really awful. And this week I was at a point of, God, I just don't understand why you're not breaking through more clearly in this. I don't get why we're, we're not seeing more light and we're just seeing so much darkness. Why is this? And I could feel disappointment in my heart and I could feel it. And you, if, if you've ever felt like this, like often... It comes to a point where we know we have a choice. We have a choice to either lean into God or to turn away from God. And it's so tempting to just be like, I can't deal with this. It's too painful. But I just want to encourage us today, church, let's keep, let's keep leaning into him. Let's come back to him. Because, man, if we feel this disappointed, how much more does he feel? Not disappointment with us, but hurt and pain at the state of the world. And we need to ask him to um, meet us in that in that that place and give us his heart again his compassion again and from that comes the truth that he is still on the move that he is working that he's doing things that we don't yet understand and that he's calling us to be part of it and that being part of it is life-giving and is what we were made for so don't stay disappointed. Please don't tap out thinking this plan is not going to work. It does sound crazy. It does sound crazy, doesn't it, that the risen Jesus thinks it's better to send us out than to just sort everything out himself. But it's what he's chosen to do. He believed in this plan. He died for this plan. His, the followers who he said this to, many of them died for this plan. They were like, yeah, Jesus, it sounds crazy for me, to me, but I've seen what you can do, and so I'm doing it. I'm going with you. I want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? Let's help each other because we need help, don't we? 
some of you probably today, you haven't put your trust in God. You haven't given your life to God before. So you wouldn't be living like this. But I just want to encourage you. Um, just why not this morning just ask him to show himself to you? Why not say, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. Jesus, if you're real, speak to me. Because he's so real and he's so alive and he's so at work. And when you know him, you want to be with him and you want to do what he, um, what he does. Remember what he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We do this with him. To follow him is to be close to him. And maybe others of you have met Jesus in the past and felt close to him in the past, but right now he feels distant. Well, again, I just want to encourage you to say, Jesus, come and reveal yourself to me again. Lean into him again, because to follow him is to be close to him. He says, I am with you. So don't get disappointed. Let's just take a step back and think, man, am I doing the most important thing? If this is what Jesus says is the most important thing to do with my life, to be a disciple who makes disciples, am I doing that? Is this the priority of my life? Is this the focus? Because we can be doing loads of great things, but is it the right things? Which comes to our second point, focus on the why and the how rather than the what. Because I just want to be clear, when I talk about am I doing what God has called me to do, I'm not talking about this job over this job or this choice over this choice. I'm talking about the bigger call that he gives all of us to go and make disciples. And that can be worked out in any context, in any workplace, in any season of life, okay? So I can be a teacher who's making disciples. I can be a shop assistant who's making disciples. I can be off, sick, off work sick and be making disciples. I can be looking for work and making disciples. I can be a stay-at-home parent and be making disciples. Or a lawyer and making disciples. Or running a really impressive business and making disciples. Or a dustbin man and making disciples. I can do all those things and anything else you could possibly ever imagine doing on the earth and be making disciples, or I can be doing any of those things and not be making disciples. In my life, I've been, um, well, I've been lots of things, but three main ones that come to mind are a teaching assistant, um, a parent at home with my son, and working for the church. Now, it could be easy to say, oh, working for the church, that's clearly when you're doing what God called you to do. That's rubbish. Do you know, in each one of those arenas, I, I, I have been doing what God's called me to do. And in each one of them, I've been not doing what God's called me to do. Because it's not about the actual job. It's about the real heart. God, am I living for you? Am I living out your mission to make disciples in the world? So being a teaching assistant, man, you get to invest in kids. You get to work alongside people who, who more often than not don't know Jesus. You get to build relationship with people. That's making disciples. At home with my son, man, he's a tiny disciple that I am literally making. <laughs> Not to mention all the other connections with other parents and whatnot. Working for church, actually, that's the hardest because often you can just spend a lot of time with Christians, but don't worry, I don't do that. All three of them have the potential to be contexts to make disciples in, and all three of them not, have the potential not to be. The difference is, is my heart convinced that this is what Jesus has made before, and am I focused on him? So wherever you're at, if you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I hear that this is what God wants us to do with your life. You don't need to change loads of stuff. You just need to change your focus and say, Jesus, how are you using me to make disciples in this context? Because he will. Do you know, he loves the people around you so much. He, he loves them so much that he's going to use you to reach them. He wants you to be making disciples of them because he knows them and he loves them. So let's... Let's make ourselves available for that. 
And let me tell you, when we understand this is when we find contentment in life because we realise satisfaction doesn't come from being successful or finding meaning in what we do. It comes from being obedient to Jesus in what he made us to do and what he called us to do, to fill the world with the knowledge of the Lord. doesn't mean it's necessarily easy, but it's what we're made for, so it's fulfilling. So at this point, we've got to ask how, right? How do we follow Jesus in this way? How do we become disciples who make disciples wherever we are? Which takes us to our third point, imitating Jesus' rhythms. So as I finish, I want to share with you a model that we believe as a church will be really helpful for us to grow in this. And you've probably heard of it before. It's really simple. And basically, when we look at Jesus' life, we see him prioritize three types of relationship. And these can be characterized as up, in, and out. So up is his relationship with his Father God. In is his relationship with his followers, his friends, those closest to him, his community. And out is his relationships with people who don't know him yet, his mission in the world. And when we think of Jesus' life in terms of these three dimensions, it breaks down what it means to follow him and do what he asks us to do. Because to be a disciple who makes disciples is to prioritize, to grow in these three ways. So up in our relationship with God, our time with him, our worship, our inner, inner devotional life, the secret place. As we continually ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit, we, we get to encounter God and meet with him wherever we are at any time. We need to cultivate this in our lives, time with the Father in but we're also in this together we have the church community and we together seek to spur each other on to become more like Jesus which means that we're open and we're vulnerable with each other so that people see the real us and know how to challenge us and encourage us to become more like Jesus do you know if we're not open then they don't know do they and help can be surfaced but it can't go deep whereas when we uh, open our lives in community together as we were made to it goes, he goes deep and he transforms us and it's so life-giving and then out, of course, we love the lost. Our focus is on people who don't yet know Jesus. And we actively sh- seek to share Jesus with those who don't know him because God gives us his compassion for them. How many of us know if we try and do it out of our love, we get tired pretty quickly? But when we ask God to give us his compassion for people around us, well, his compassions never fail. And so he, keep, he can keep doing that for us. So good. And you hear it in the commission to us, don't you? Let's just read that again because there's such powerful words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I'm with you. You don't do this apart from me. You do this with me. That's the up element. He says, go. That's clearly the out element. Go and find people who don't yet know me. But then he speaks of as people respond and are baptized, teach them to obey. That speaks of the in dimension, the church community where we're spurring each other on and teaching each other to grow and become more like Jesus. And just to help us unpack this further, I just want us to watch a video. You may well have seen this before. I think Dan shared it um, all around a a, a couple of months ago. But I just wanted to watch it again because I think it's really good. So we're going to watch this video and then uh, I've got a few more things to say. Is that all right? Thank you. To be a disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus. 
growing in his character while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation, lived where you lived, or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. It's the pattern of his whole life and ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray. But this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his Father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals, how each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with and he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up, in, and out. Most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third, but rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after His, to learn His ways, and to let His power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, when a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red-hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in, and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible. 
That's good, isn't it? The gospel made visible, us being this community of people. That's what we want as a church. Did you hear the guy on the video said that most of us are good at one, okay at a second, and fairly bad at a third? Do you resonate with that? I think sometimes it changes in different seasons of life, doesn't it, as well, which one feels like it comes most naturally to us. But as we go from here, I just want you to keep this triangle in mind, and I want you to just reflect on where you see those dimensions in your life. Are there rhythms daily, weekly, monthly, where you're connecting in those three dimensions? Ask God to just uh, increase your focus on them. And uh, as we do that, as as we spot them more in our life, then we're able to grow more in them. And like he said, it's not just about playing to our strengths. It's about investing where we don't find it so natural because we so believe that it's when we're flowing around all three that we're being disciples who make disciples and we're seeing that culture grow within our church, which will have an amazing effect on the world around us. Do you believe that? Are you convinced that your part is really valuable within this? That we want to see the whole earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And the way the Lord has decided to do that is by sending us out. So guys, I just want us to give ourselves to this above anything else. And as we do that, I promise you, it is the place of finding contentment and satisfaction like nothing else. So we started today asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? Hopefully you've seen that God's got a pretty big answer to that question. He's really concerned with what we do with our lives. But it's not about the achievements or successes, although he does care about all the details. He does celebrate with us. But his, his priority for our lives is that we would follow him and join with his mission to make disciples of the whole earth. And this can be worked out at any stage of life, in any job, in any context, in any location. The question is, are we convinced and is our priority on Jesus and his mission? So let's just uh, get the band back. Do you want to stand up with me? Let's just spend a few moments reflecting on this and asking Jesus to magnify himself in our hearts and minds.